Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you for joining me around the fireside tonight. My name is Joe, and I'm here to tell you a story. A story about a brave little girl on a great journey to save her best friend. A story about royalty and crows, of robbers and glass, of reindeer and sorceresses. A story about roses, proudly presenting the Snow Queen by Hans Christian Andersen, as published in 1844. As always, if you enjoyed this story, please let me know by leaving a rating or review and subscribing to Tales by the Fireside. Every interaction truly does mean the world to this channel. Now please, get comfortable, let go of the daylight and join me for our story. The Snow Queen, a fairy tale in seven stories, by Hans Christian Andersen. First story, which deals with the mirror and the shards of glass. Right then, time to start. When we're at the end of the story, we'll know more than we do now, for it has to do with an evil ogre. One of the very worst... One day, he was in a really good mood, for he had made a mirror that had the property of reducing everything good and beautiful that was reflected in it into practically nothing. But whatever was fit for nothing and looked bad grew more pronounced and became even worse. The loveliest landscapes looked like boiled spinach in it, and the best of people turned ugly or stood on their heads with no stomach. Their faces became so distorted that they were unrecognisable, and if someone had a freckle, you could be sure that it spread out over both nose and mouth. 
It was most amusing, the devil said. If a good, pious thought went through the mind of a person, a grin appeared in the mirror, so that the ogre devil had to laugh at his ingenious invention. Everyone who went to ogre school, for he ran such a place, said far and wide that a miracle had taken place. Now, for the first time, one could really see, they felt, what the world and people really looked like. They ran around with the mirror, and finally there wasn't a country or a single person that had not been distorted in it. And now they wanted to fly up to heaven itself to make fun of the angels and the good Lord. The higher they flew with the mirror, the louder it laughed. They could hardly hold on to it. Higher and higher they flew, closer to God and the angels. Then the mirror shook so violently as it grinned that it shot out of their hands and crashed down onto the ground, where it shattered into hundreds of millions, billions and even more pieces. And that was precisely what caused more misfortune than before. For some of the pieces were scarcely as big as a grain of sand, and these flew all over the world. And whenever they got into people's eyes, they stayed put, and then those people saw everything wrong, or only had eyes for what was bad about something. For every speck of the mirror had retained the same power as the whole. Some people even got a tiny mirror shard in their heart, and that was quite horrible. The heart became like a lump of ice. Some pieces of the mirror were so large that they were used for window panes, but it wasn't worth looking at one's friends through that pain. Others were put in spectacles, and things went badly when people put on those glasses to see. The evil ogre laughed till his stomach burst, and that tickled him so wonderfully. But now there are even more shards of glass flying everywhere around the world. Listen now. The second story. A little boy and a little girl. In the big city, where there are so many houses and people so that there's not enough space for everyone to have a little garden, most people have to make do with flowers in pots. There were two poor children who nevertheless had a garden that was a bit bigger than a flower pot. They were not brother and sister, but they were as fond of each other as if they had been. Their parents lived close to each other. They lived in two attics, where the roof from one met that of the other, and the gutter followed the eaves. A small window faced outward from each house, and you only needed to step over the gutter to get from one window to the other. Outside the windows, both their parents had a large wooden box where they grew their vegetables. There was also a small rose tree growing in each box, and they grew there so beautifully. The parents came to place the boxes across the gutter so that they almost reached from one window to the other, and they looked almost exactly like two embankments of flowers. 
the long pea stalks hung down over the edges of the boxes, and the rose trees grew long branches. They wound themselves round the windows and bent towards each other, almost like a triumphal arch of greenery and flowers. Since the boxes were very high, and the children knew that they were not allowed to clamber up onto them, they were both allowed to climb out to each other and sit on small stools under the roses, and there they played marvellously together. In the winter, that pleasure was of course denied them. The windows were often completely frozen shut, but they would heat small copper coins on the tiled stove, place a hot coin on the frozen window pane, and create a perfectly round peephole, behind which a wonderfully mild eye would peer out, one from each window. The little boy's name was Kay, and the little girl's name was Gerda. In the summer, they could get together by taking one big step. In the winter, they had to go down many stairs and up many stairs. And outside, the snow was swirling. The snow is white bees that are swarming, the old grandmother said. Do they also have a bee queen? the little boy asked, for he knew that among real bees there is such a queen. They do indeed, the grandmother said. She flies where they are swarming at their thickest. She's the largest of them all, and she never remains still on the ground. She keeps on flying up into the black cloud. Over many a winter night, she flies through the city streets and looks in through the windows. And then they freeze over so strangely as if with flowers. Yes, I've seen that, both children said, so they knew it was true. Can the Snow Queen come in here? the little girl asked. Just let her try and come in, the boy said, and I'll put her on the hot stove, and then she'll melt. But the grandmother smoothed his hair and told the mother stories. One evening, when little Kay was at home and half undressed, he crept up onto the chair by the window and looked out of the small hole. A few snowflakes were drifting down, and one of these, the largest of them, came to lie on the edge of one of the flower boxes. The snowflake grew and grew, and finally it turned into a whole woman, dressed in the finest white gauze that was made up of millions of star-like flakes. She was very fine and beautiful, but made of ice, of blinding, twinkling ice. And yet she was alive. Her eyes stared like two bright stars, although there was no calmness or rest in them. She nodded at the window and waved her hand. The little boy took fright and jumped down from the chair, and it was as if a large bird flew past the window. The next day there was a clear frost, and then it began to thaw. The sun shone, everything turned green, the swallows built their nests, the windows were opened, and the small children sat once more in their tiny garden high up in the gutter above all the stories of the houses. The roses bloomed so marvellously that summer. The little girl had learned to hymn, and it talked of roses, 
and when she read it, she thought about her own roses and sang it for the little boy. And then he joined in. The rose in the valley is blooming so sweet, and angels descend there, the children to greet. And they held each other by the hand, kissed the roses, and gazed into the bright sunshine. What delightful summer days they were! How wonderful it was to be out there with the fresh rose trees that never seemed as if they would stop blooming. It was when Kay and Gerda sat there looking at a picture book with animals and birds that Kay said, Ow! Something stuck me in the heart! And now i got something in my eye! The little girl held him by the neck. He blinked his eyes. No, there was nothing to be seen. I think it's out again, he said. But it wasn't, for it was one of the specks of glass that came from the mirror. The magic mirror, remember? The horrid glass that made everything good that was reflected in it become horrible. But what was evil and nasty become more obvious, and everything wrong with something was immediately noticeable. A tiny shard had also gone right into poor Kay's heart. Soon his heart would be like a lump of ice. It no longer hurt, but it was still there. What are you crying for? he asked. It makes you look ugly. There's nothing the matter with me. Ugh! he suddenly cried out. That rose over there is all worm-eaten. And look, that one's all crooked. They really are such ugly roses. They look like the boxes they're standing in and he gave the box a hard shove with his foot and broke off the two roses. Kay, what are you doing? the little girl shouted, and when he saw how shocked she was, he pulled another rose off and then rushed inside from his window, away from sweet little Gerda. When she came later with the picture book, he said that it was only for babies, and if the grandmother told them stories, he always came up with some objection, and if he could, he would follow after her, put a pair of glasses on, and speak exactly the way she did, so convincingly that it made people laugh at him. He was soon able to follow everyone in the whole street and mimic them. Everything that was a bit odd about them and not very fetching, Kay was able to imitate, and then people said, that boy certainly got a clever head on his shoulders but it was the piece of glass he had got in his eye, and the glass that was lodged in his heart. That was why he teased even little Gerda, who loved him with all her soul. The games he played were so different from before. One winter's day, when the snowflakes came swirling down, he came with a large burning glass, held the corner of his blue coat, and let the snowflakes fall on it. Just look in the glass, Gerda! he said, and every snowflake became much larger and looked like a magnificent flower or a ten-pointed star. It was lovely to look at. See how ingenious, Kay said. It's much more interesting than real flowers and there isn't a single fault in them anywhere. They're perfectly accurate, as long as they don't melt. Shortly afterwards, Kay came along with big gloves and his sledge on his back. He shouted right into Gerda's ear. I've been given permission to go sledging on the great square where the others play. And off he rushed. 
On the square, the boldest boys often fastened their sledges onto the farmer's cart and were pulled a really long way. It was great fun. Right in the middle of their game, a large sleigh came along. It was painted completely white, and in it sat someone wrapped in a thick white fur with a thick furry cape. The sleigh went round the square twice, and Kay quickly fastened his small sledge to it. And now he got a ride too. It went faster and faster into the next street. The person driving it looked backwards and nodded to Kay in a friendly way, almost as if they knew each other. Each time Kay wanted to unfasten his small sledge, the person nodded once more, and Kay stayed where he was, and they drove straight out of the city gate. The snow started to fall so thick and fast that the little boy could hardly see the hand in front of his face. He let go of the string to free himself from the big sleigh, but that didn't help at all. His little sledge was still attached and he was travelling as fast as the wind. He shouted very loudly, but no one heard him, and the snow whirled past and the sledge flew along. From time to time it gave a leap, as if he was travelling over ditches and fences. He was quite frightened and wanted to say a prayer, but all he could remember was his multiplication table from 10 to 20. The snowflakes grew larger and larger, and finally they looked like large white hens. Suddenly they leapt to one side, the large sleigh came to a halt, and the person driving it stood up. The great fur and cape were made completely of snow. It was a lady, so tall and straight, so gleamingly white. It was the Snow Queen. We've arrived safely, she said. But do you call that freezing? Creep into my bare fur coat. And she placed him in the sleigh with her, wrapped the fur around him. It felt like sinking into a snowdrift. Are you still freezing cold? she asked. And then she kissed him on the forehead. Oh, it was colder than ice. It went right to his heart, which had already half turned into a lump of ice. It was as if he was going to die but only for a moment. And then he felt fine. He could no longer notice the cold around him. My sledge, don't forget my sledge. He only remembered that now, and it was attached to one of the white hens, and it flew behind with the sledge on its back. The Snow Queen kissed Kay once more, and then he had forgotten little Gerda and Grandmother and all of them back home. That's all the kisses you're getting, she said, for otherwise I would kiss you to death. Kay looked at her. She was so beautiful. He couldn't imagine a cleverer, lovelier face. Now she didn't seem to be a vice, as she did when she sat outside his window and waved to him. In his eyes she was perfect. He didn't feel the slightest bit afraid, and he told her that he could do mental arithmetic and fractions he knew the area of countries and how many inhabitants, and she smiled the whole time. Then he felt that what he knew wasn't enough, and he looked up into the vast, vast realms of the air, and she flew with him, flew up high onto the black cloud, and the storm roared and raged. It was as if it was singing old songs. 
They flew over forests and lakes, over seas and lands. Beneath them the cold wind roared, the wolves howled, the snow glittered, with black screeching crows flying above it. But above everything the moon shone so large and bright, and Kay gazed at it the long, long wintry night. During the day he slept at the Snow Queen's feet. The third story. The Enchanted Flower Garden. But how fared little Gerda in Kay's absence? What had become of him, no one knew, nor could anyone give the slightest information, excepting the boys, who said that he had tied his sledge to another very large one, which had driven through the street and out at the town gate. No one knew where it went. Many tears were shed for him, and little Gerda wept bitterly for a long time. She said she knew he must be dead, that he was drowned in the river which flowed close by the school. The long winter days were very dreary, but at last spring came with warm sunshine. Kay is dead and gone, said little Gerda. I don't believe it, said the sunshine. He is dead and gone, she said to the sparrows. We don't believe it, they replied. And finally, little Gerda didn't either. I'll put on my new red shoes, she said one morning. Kay's never seen them. I'll go down to the river and ask it. It was quite early when she kissed her old grandmother, who was still asleep. Then she put on her red shoes and went, quite alone, out of the town gate toward the river. Is it true you've taken my friend away from me? she said to the river. I will give you my red shoes if you'll give him back to me. And it seemed as if the waves nodded to her in a strange manner. Then she took off her red shoes, which she liked better than anything else, and threw them both into the river. But they fell near the bank, and the little waves carried them back to land, just as if the river would not take from her what she loved best because it could not give her back little Kay. But she thought the shoes had not been thrown out far enough. She crept into a boat that lay among the reeds, and she threw the shoes again from the farther end of the boat into the water. But it was not fastened, and her movement sent it gliding away from the land. When she saw this, she hastened to reach the end of the boat. But before she could, it was more than a yard from the bank, and drifting away faster than ever. Little Gerda was very much frightened. She began to cry, but no one heard her except the sparrows, and they could not carry her to land, but they flew along the shore and sang as if to comfort her. Here we are, here we are. The boat floated with the stream, and little Gerda sat quite still with only her stockings on her feet. The red shoes floated after her, but she could not reach them because the boat kept so much in advance. The banks on either side of the river were very pretty. There were beautiful flowers, old trees, sloping fields in which cows and sheep were grazing, but not a human being to be seen. Perhaps the river will carry me to little Kay, thought Gerda, and she became more cheerful, and raised her head and looked at the beautiful green banks. And so the boat sailed on for hours. 
At last, she came to a large cherry orchard, in which stood a small house with strange red and blue windows. It had also a thatched roof, and outside were two wooden soldiers that presented arms to her as she sailed past. Gerda called out to them, for she thought they really were alive, but of course they did not answer, and as the boat drifted nearer to the shore, she saw what they really were. Then Gerda called still louder, and there came a very old woman out of the house, leaning on a crutch. She wore a large hat to shade her from the sun, and on it were painted all sorts of pretty flowers. "'You poor little child,' said the woman. "'How did you manage to come this long, long distance into the wide world on such a rapid rolling stream?' And then the old woman walked into the water, seized the boat with her crutch, drew it to land, and lifted little Gerda out. And Gerda was glad to feel herself again on dry ground, although she was rather afraid of the strange old woman. "'Come and tell me who you are,' said she, "'and how you came here.' Then Gerda told her everything, while the old woman shook her head and said, <laughs> And when Gerda had finished, she asked the old woman if she had not seen little Kay. She told her he had not passed that way, but he very likely would come. She told Gerda not to be sorrowful, but to taste the cherries and look at the flowers. They were better than any picture book for each of them could tell a story. Then she took Gerda by the hand and led her into the little house and closed the door. The windows were very high, and as the panes were red, blue and yellow, the daylight shone through them in all sorts of singular colours. On the table stood some beautiful cherries, and Gerda had permission to eat as many as she would. While she was eating them, the old woman combed out her long flaxen ringlets with a golden comb, and the glossy curls hung down on each side of the little round pleasant face, which looked fresh and blooming as a rose. "'I have long been wishing for a dear little maiden like you,' said the old woman, "'and now you must stay with me and see how happily we shall live together.' And while she went on combing little Gerda's hair, the child thought less and less about her adopted brother Kay, for the old woman was an enchantress. Although she was not a wicked witch, she conjured only a little for her own amusement, and now because she wanted to keep Gerda. She went into the garden and stretched out her crutch towards all the rose trees, beautiful though they were, and they immediately sank into the dark earth, so that no one could tell where they had once stood. The old woman was afraid that if little Gerda saw roses, she would think of those at home and then remember little Kay and run away. The next day, and for many days after, Gerda played with the flowers in the warm sunshine. She knew every flower, and yet, although there were so many of them, it seemed as if one were missing. But what it was, she could not tell. One day, as she sat looking at the old woman's hat with the painted flowers on it, she saw that the prettiest of them all was a rose. The old woman had forgotten to take it from her hat when she made all the roses sink into the earth. But it is difficult to keep the thoughts together in everything, and one little mistake upsets all our arrangements. What? There are no roses here, cried Gerda, and she ran out into the garden and examined all the beds and searched 
and searched. There were none to be found, and she sat down and wept, and her tears fell just on the place where one of the rose trees had sunk down. Her warm tears moistened the earth, and the rose tree sprouted up at once, as blooming as when it had sunk, and Gerda embraced it and kissed the roses and thought of the beautiful roses at home, and with them of little Kay. Oh, how I've been detained, said the little maiden. I wanted to seek for little Kay. Do you know where he is? She asked the roses. Do you think he's dead? And the roses answered, No, he is not dead. We have been in the ground where all the dead lie, but Kay is not there. Thank you, said little Gerda. And then she went to the other flowers and looked into their little cups and asked, Do you know where Kay is? But each flower, as it stood in the sunshine, dreamed only of its own little fairy tale of history. No one knew anything of Kay. Gerda had heard many stories from the flowers as she asked them, one after the other, about him. And she ran to the open door at the end of the garden. The door was fastened, but she pressed against the rusty latch and it gave way. The door sprang open and little Gerda ran out with bare feet into the wide world. She looked back three times, but no one seemed to be following her. At last, she could run no longer, so she sat down to rest on a great stone, and when she looked around, she saw that the summer was over and autumn very far advanced. She had known nothing of this in the beautiful garden where the sun shone and the flowers grew all the year round. Oh, how I've wasted my time, said little Gerda. It's autumn. I must not rest any longer. And she rose to go on, but her little feet were wounded and sore, and everything around her looked cold and bleak. The long willow leaves were quite yellow, the dewdrops fell like water, leaf after leaf dropped from the trees. The slowthorn alone still bore fruit, but the sloes were sour and set the teeth on edge. Oh, how dark and weary the whole world appeared! The fourth story, The Prince and the princess. Gerda was obliged to rest again, and just opposite the place where she sat, she saw a great crow come hopping toward her across the snow. He stood looking at her for some time, and then he wagged his head and said, Caw, caw, good day, good day. He pronounced the words as plainly as he could, because he meant to be kind to the little girl, and he asked her where she was going, all alone in the wide world. The word alone Gerda understood very well and felt how much it expressed. So she told the crow the whole story of her life and adventures and asked him if he had seen little Kay. The crow nodded his head very gravely and said, Perhaps I have. It may be. No, do you really think you have? cried little Gerda and she kissed the crow and hugged him almost to death with joy. Gently, gently, said the crow. I believe I know. I think it may be little Kay, but he has certainly forgotten you by this time, for the princess. Does he live with a princess? asked Gerda. Yes, listen, replied the crow, but it is so difficult to speak your language. If you understand the crow's language, then I can explain it better. Do you? No, I've never learnt it, said Gerda, but my grandmother understands it and used to speak it to me. I wish I'd learned it. It does not matter, answered the crow. I will explain as well as I can, although it will be very badly done. And he told her what he'd heard. 
in this kingdom where we now are, said he, there lives a princess who is so wonderfully clever that she has read all the newspapers in the world, and forgotten them too, although she is so clever. A short time ago, as she was sitting on her throne, which people say is not an agreeable seat as is often supposed, she began to sing a song which commences with the words, Why should I not be married? Why not indeed, said she, and so she determined to marry if she could find a husband who knew what to say when he was spoken to, and not one who could only look grand, for that was so tiresome. She assembled all her court ladies at the beat of a drum, and when they heard of her intentions they were very much pleased. We are so glad to hear of it, said they. We were talking about it ourselves the other day. You may believe that every word I tell you is true, said the crow, for I have a tame sweetheart who hops freely about the palace, and she told me all this. Of course his sweetheart was a crow, for birds of a feather flock together, and one crow always chooses another crow. Newspapers were published immediately with a border of hearts and the initials of the princess among them. They gave notice that every young man who was handsome was free to visit the castle and speak with the princess, and those who could reply loud enough to be heard when spoken to were to make themselves quite at home at the palace, and the one who spoke best would be chosen as a husband for the princess. Yes, yes, you may believe me, it's all as true as I sit here, said the crow. The people came in crowds, there was a great deal of crushing and running about, but no one succeeded either on the first or the second day. They could all speak very well while they were outside in the streets, but when they entered the palace gates and saw the guards in silver uniforms and the footmen in their golden livery on the staircase, and the great halls lighted up, they became quite confused. And when they stood before the throne on which the princess sat, they could do nothing but repeat the last words she had said, and she had no particular wish to hear her own words over and over again. It was just as if they had all taken something to make them sleepy while they were there in the palace, for they did not recover themselves nor speak till they had got back again into the street. There was a long procession of them, reaching from the town gate to the palace. I went myself to see them, said the crow. They were hungry and thirsty, for at the palace they did not even get a glass of water. Some of the wisest had taken a few slices of bread and butter with them, but they did not share it with their neighbours. They thought if the others went into the princess looking hungry, there would be a better chance for themselves. But Kay, tell me about little Kay, said Gerda. Was he among the crowd? Stop a bit, we are just coming to him. It was on the third day that there came marching cheerfully along to the palace a little personage, without horses or carriage, his eyes sparkling like yours. He had beautiful long hair, but his clothes were very poor. That was Kay, said Gerda joyfully. Oh, then I found him, and she clapped her hands. He had a little knapsack on his back, added the crow. No, it must have been his sledge, said Gerda, for he went away with it. It may have been so, said the crow. I did not look at it very closely, but I know from my tame sweetheart that he passed through the palace gates, saw the guards in their silver uniform and the servants in their liveries of gold on the stairs, but he was not in the least embarrassed. It must be very tiresome to stand on the stairs, he said. I prefer to go in. The rooms were blazing with light. 
councillors and ambassadors walked about with bare feet, carrying golden vessels. It was enough to make any one feel serious. His boots creaked loudly as he walked, and yet he was not at all uneasy. It must be Kay, said Gerda. I know he had new boots on. I heard them creak in Grandmother's room. They really did creak, said the crow. Yet he went boldly up to the princess herself, who was sitting on a pearl as large as a spinning wheel. And all the ladies of the court were present with their maids, and all the cavaliers with their servants, and each of the maids had another maid to wait upon her. And the cavaliers' servants had their own servants, as well as each a page. They all stood in circles around the princess, and the nearer they stood to the door, the prouder they looked. The servants' pages, who always wore slippers, could hardly be looked at as they held themselves up so proudly by the door. It must be quite awful, said little Gerda, but did Kay win the princess? If I had not been a crow, said he, I would have married her myself, although I am engaged. He spoke as well as I do when I speak the crow's language. I heard this from my tame sweetheart. He was quite free and agreeable, and said he had not come to woo the princess, but to hear her wisdom, and he was as pleased with her as she was with him. Oh, that certainly was Kay, said Gerda. He was so clever. He could work mental arithmetic and fractions. Oh, will you take me to the palace? It is very easy to ask that, replied the crow, but how are we to manage it? However, I will speak about it to my tame sweetheart and ask her advice. For I must tell you, it will be very difficult to gain permission for a little girl like you to enter the palace. Oh yes, but I shall gain permission easily, said Gerda, for when Kay hears that I'm here, he will come out and fetch me in immediately. Wait for me here by the palings, said the crow, wagging his head as he flew away. It was late in the evening before the crow returned. Caw, caw, he said. She sends your greeting. And here is a little roll which she took from the kitchen for you. There is plenty of bread there, and she thinks you must be hungry. It is not possible for you to enter the palace by the front entrance. The guards in silver uniform and the servants in gold livery would not allow it. But do not cry, we will manage to get you in. My sweetheart knows a little back staircase that leads into the sleeping apartments, and she knows where to find the key. Then they went into the garden through the great avenue, where the leaves were falling one after the other, and they could see the lights in the palace were being put out in the same manner, and the crow led little Gerda to a back door which stood ajar. Oh, how her heart beat with anxiety and longing. It was as if she were going to do something wrong, and yet she only wanted to know where Kay was. It must be him, she thought, with those clear eyes and that long hair. She could fancy she saw him smiling at her as he used to at home when they sat among the roses. He would certainly be glad to see her and to hear what a long distance she had come for his sake and to know how sorry they had all been at home because he didn't come back. Oh, what a joy and yet what fear she felt. They were now on the stairs and in a small closet at the top a lamp was burning. In the middle of the floor stood the tame crow turning her head from side to side and gazing at Gerda, who curtsied as her grandmother had taught her to do. My betrothed speaking so very highly of you, my little lady, said the tame crow. 
your story is very touching. If you will take the lamp, I will walk before you. We will go straight along this way, where we shall meet no one. I feel as if someone were behind us, said Gerda, as something rushed by her, like a shadow, on the wall. And then it seemed to her that horses with flying manes and thin legs, hunters, ladies and gentlemen on horseback, glided by her like shadows. They are only dreams, said the crow. They are coming to carry the thoughts of the great people out hunting. All the better, for if their thoughts are out hunting, we shall be able to look at them in their beds more safely. I hope that when you rise to honour and favour, you will show a grateful heart. You may be quite sure of that, said the other crow. They now came into the first hall, the walls of which were hung with rose-coloured satin embroidered with artificial flowers. Here the dreams again flitted by them, but so quickly that Gerda could not distinguish the royal persons. Each hall appeared more splendid than the last. It was enough to bewilder one. At length they reached a bedroom. The ceiling was like a great palm tree with glass leaves of the most costly crystal, and over the centre of the floor two beds, each resembling a lily, hung from a stem of gold. One, in which the princess lay, was white, the other was red, and in this Gerda had to seek for little Kay. She pushed one of the red leaves aside and saw a little brown neck. Oh, that must be Kay! She called his name loudly and held the lamp over him. The dreams rushed back into the room on horseback. He woke and turned his head round. It was not little Kay. The prince was only like him. Still, he was young and pretty. Out of her white lily bed peeped the princess and asked what was the matter. Little Gerda wept and told her story and all that the crows had done to help her. You poor child, said the prince and princess. Then they praised the crows and said they were not angry with them for what they had done, but that it must not happen again and that this time they should be rewarded. Would you like to have your freedom? asked the princess, or would you prefer to be raised to the position of court crows with all that is left in the kitchen for yourselves? Then both the crows bowed and begged to have a fixed appointment, for they thought of their old age, and it would be so comfortable, they said, to feel that they had made provision for it. And then the prince got out of his bed and gave it up to Gerda. He could do no more and she lay down. She folded her little hands and thought, how good everybody is to me, both men and animals. Then she closed her eyes and fell into a sweet sleep. All of the dreams came flying back again, looking like angels now, and one of them drew a little sledge on which sat Kay, who nodded to her. But all this was only a dream, and it vanished as soon as she awoke. The following day she was dressed from head to foot in silk and velvet and invited to stay at the palace for a few days and enjoy herself. But she only begged for a pair of boots and a little carriage and a horse to draw it so that she might go out into the wide world and seek for Kay. She obtained not only boots but a muff and was neatly dressed and when she was ready to go, there at the door she found a coach made of pure gold with the coat of arms of the prince and princess shining upon it like a star, and the coachman, footman, and outriders all wearing golden crowns upon their heads.
the prince and princess themselves helped her into the coach and wished her success. The forest crow, who was now married, accompanied her for the first three miles. He sat by Gerda's side, as he could not bear riding backwards. The tame crow stood in the doorway flapping her wings. She could not go with them, because she had been suffering from headache ever since the new appointment, no doubt from overeating. The coach was well stored with sweet cakes, and under the seat were fruit and gingerbread nuts. Farewell, farewell, cried the prince and princess, and little Gerda wept, and the crow wept, and then, after a few miles, the crow also said farewell, and this parting was even more sad. However, he flew to a tree, and stood, flapping his black wings as long as he could see the coach, which glittered like a sunbeam. The Fifth Story The Little Robber Girl The coach drove on through a thick forest, where it lighted up the way like a torch, and dazzled the eyes of some robbers, who could not bear to let it pass them unmolested. It's gold, it is gold, cried they, rushing forward and seizing their horses. Then they struck dead the little jockeys, the coachman and the footman, and pulled the little Gerda out of the carriage. She is plump and pretty, she has been fed with the kernels of nuts, said the old robber woman, who had a long beard and eyebrows that hung over her eyes. She is as good as a fatted lamb, oh, how nice she will taste. And as she said this, she drew forth a shining knife that glittered horribly. Oh, screamed the old woman at the same moment, for her own daughter, who had held her back, had bitten her in the ear. You naughty girl, said the mother, and now she had not time to kill Gerda. She shall play with me, said the little robber girl. She shall give me her muff and her pretty dress and sleep with me in my bed. And then she bit her mother again, and all the robbers laughed. I will have a ride in the coach, said the little robber girl, and she would have her own way, for she was self-willed and obstinate. She and Gerda seated themselves in the coach and drove away over stumps and stones, into the depths of the forest. The little robber girl was about the same size as Gerda, but stronger. She had broader shoulders and darker skin. Her eyes were quite black, and she had a mournful look. She clasped little Gerda around the waist and said, They shall not kill you as long as you don't make me vexed. I suppose you are a princess. No, said Gerda, and she told all her history and how fond she was of little Kay. The robber girl looked earnestly at her, nodded her head and said, They shan't kill you even if I do get angry with you, for I will do it myself. And then she wiped Gerda's eyes and put her own hands into the beautiful muff which was so soft and warm. The coach stopped in the courtyard of a robber's castle, the walls of which were full of cracks from top to bottom. Ravens and crows flew in and out of the holes and crevices, while great bulldogs, each of which looked as if could swallow a man, were jumping about, but they were not allowed to bark. In the large, old, smoky hall, a bright fire was burning on the stone floor. There was no chimney, so the smoke went up into the ceiling and found a way out for itself. Soup was boiling in a large cauldron, and hares and rabbits were roasting on the spit. "'You shall sleep with me and all my little animals tonight,' said the robber girl, after they had something to eat and drink. So 
she took Gerda to a corner of the hall where some straw and carpets were laid down. Above them, on lathes and perches, were more than a hundred pigeons that all seemed to be asleep, although they moved slightly when the two girls came near them. These all belong to me, said the robber girl, and she seized the nearest to her and held it by the feet. Kiss it, cried she, flapping the bird in Gerda's face. There sit the wood pigeons, continued she, pointing to a number of lathes and a cage which had been fixed into the walls near one of the openings. Both rascals would fly away directly if they were not closely locked up. And here is my old sweetheart, Bah. And she dragged out a reindeer by the horn. He wore a bright copper ring around his neck and was tethered to the spot. We are obliged to hold him tight too, else he would run away from us also. I tickle his neck every evening with my sharp knife, which frightens him very much. And the robber girl drew a long knife from a chink in the wall and let it slide gently over the reindeer's neck. The poor animal began to kick, and the little robber girl laughed and pulled down Gerda into bed with her. "'Will you have that knife with you while you're asleep?' asked Gerda, looking at it in great fright. "'I always sleep with my knife near me,' said the robber girl. "'No one knows what may happen. But now tell me again all about little Kay and why you went out into the world.' Then Gerda repeated her story over again, while the wood pigeons in the cage over her cooed, and the other pigeons slept. The little robber girl put one arm across Gerda's neck and held the knife in the other, and was soon fast asleep and snoring. But Gerda could not close her eyes at all. She knew not whether she was to live or to die. The robbers sat round the fire, singing and drinking. It was a terrible sight for a little girl to witness. Then one of the wood pigeons said, Cuckoo, we have seen little Kay. A white fowl carried his sledge, and he sat in the carriage of the Snow Queen, which drove through the wood while we were lying in our nest. She blew upon us, and all the young ones died except us. Coo, coo. What are you saying up there? cried Gerda. Where was the Snow Queen going? Do you know anything about it? She was most likely travelling to Lapland, where there is always snow and ice. Ask the reindeer that is fastened up there with a rope. Yes, there is always snow and ice, said the reindeer, and it's a glorious place. You can leap and run about freely on the sparkling icy plains. The Snow Queen has her summer tent there, but her strong castle is at the North Pole on an island called Spitsbergen. Okay, little Kay, sighed Gerda. Lie still, said the little robber girl, or you shall feel my knife. In the morning, Gerda told her all that the wood pigeons had said, and the little robber girl looked quite serious, and nodded her head, and said, That is all talk. Do you know where Lapland is? she asked the reindeer. Who should know better than I do? said the animal, while his eyes sparkled. I was born and brought up there, and used to run about the snow-covered plains. Now listen said the robber girl. All our men are gone away. Only mother is here, and she will stay. But at noon, she always drinks out of a great bottle, and afterwards sleeps for a little while. And then I'll do something for you. She jumped out of bed, clasped her mother round the neck, and pulled her by the beard, crying, My own little nanny goat, good morning. And her mother pinched her nose till it was quite red, yet did it all for love. When the mother had gone to sleep, the little robber maiden went to the reindeer and said, 
I should like very much to tickle your neck a few more times with my knife, for it makes you look so funny. But never mind, I will untie your cord and set you free, so that you may run away to Lapland. But you must make good use of your legs and carry this little girl to the castle of the Snow Queen where her playfellow is. You have heard what she told me, for she spoke loud enough and you were listening. The reindeer jumped for joy, and the little robber girl lifted Gerda on his back and had the forethought to tie her on and even to give her her own little cushion to sit upon. Here are your fur boots for you, said she, for it will be very cold, but I must keep the muff. It is so pretty. However, you will not be frozen for the want of it. Here are my mother's large warm mittens. They will reach up to your elbows. Let me put them on. There, now your hands look just like my mother's. But Gerda wept for joy. I don't like to see you fret, said the little robber girl. You ought to look quite happy now. And here are two loaves and a ham, so that you need not starve. These were fastened upon the reindeer, and then the little robber maiden opened the door, coaxed in all the great dogs, cut the string in which the reindeer was fastened with her sharp knife, and said, Now run, but mind you take care of the little girl. And Gerda stretched out her hand with the great mitten on it toward the little robber girl, and said, Farewell. And away flew the reindeer over stumps and stones, through the great forest, over marshes and plains as quickly as he could. The wolves howled and the ravens screamed, while up in the sky quivered red lights like flames of fire. They are my northern lights, said the reindeer. See how they flash. And he ran on, day and night, still faster and faster. But the loaves and the ham were all eaten by the time they reached Lapland. Sixth story. The Lapland Woman and the Finland Woman. They stopped at a little hut. It was very mean looking. The roof sloped nearly down to the ground and the door was so low that the family had to creep in on their hands and knees when they went in and out. There was no one at home but an old Lapland woman who was dressing fish by the light of a train oil lamp. The reindeer told her all about Gerda's story after having first told his own, which seemed to him the most important. But Gerda was so pinched with the cold that she could not speak. Oh, you poor things, said the Lapland woman. You have a long way to go yet. You must travel more than a hundred miles farther to Finland. The Snow Queen lives there now, and she burns Bengal lights every evening. I will write a few words on a dried stockfish, for I have no paper, and you can take it from me to the Finland woman who lives there. She can give you better information than I can. So when Gerda was warmed and had taken something to eat and drink, the woman wrote a few words on the dried fish and told Gerda to take great care of it. Then she tied her on again the back of the reindeer and he sprang high into the air and set off at full speed. Flash, flash went the beautiful blue northern lights the whole night long. At length they reached Finland and knocked at the chimney of the Finland woman's hut for it had no door above the ground. They crept in, but it was so terribly hot inside that the woman wore scarcely any clothes. She was small and very dirty looking. She loosened little Gerda's dress and took off the fur boots and the mittens, or Gerda would have been unable to bear the heat. Then she placed a piece of ice on the reindeer's head and read what was written on the dried fish. 
and after she'd read it three times she knew it by heart. So she popped the fish into the soup as she knew it was good to eat and she never wasted anything. The reindeer told his own story first and then little Gerda's and the Finlander twinkled with her clever eyes but said nothing. You are so clever, said the reindeer. I know you can tie all the winds of the world with a piece of twine. If a sailor unties one knot, he has a fair wind. When he unties the second, it blows hard. But if the third and fourth are loosened, then comes a storm which will root up whole forests. Can you not give this little maiden something which will make her as strong as twelve men to overcome the Snow Queen? The power of twelve men? said the Finland woman. That would be of very little use. But she went to a shelf and took down and unrolled a large skin on which were inscribed wonderful characters, and she read till the perspiration ran down from her forehead. But the reindeer begged so hard for little Gerda, and Gerda looked at the Finland woman with such tender, tearful eyes that her own eyes began to twinkle again. She drew the reindeer into a corner and whispered to him while she laid a fresh piece of ice on his head. Little Kay is really with the Snow Queen, but he finds everything there so much to his taste and his liking that he believes it is the finest place in the world. And this is because he has a piece of broken glass in his heart and a little splinter of glass in his eye. These must be taken out or he will never be a human being again and the Snow Queen or retain her power over him. But can you not give little Gerda something to help her conquer this power? I can give her no greater power than she has already, said the woman. Don't you see how strong that is? How men and animals are obliged to serve her, and how well she has gotten through the world, barefooted as she is? She cannot receive any power from me greater than she now has, which consists in her own purity and innocence of heart. If she cannot herself obtain access to the Snow Queen and remove the glass fragments from little Kay, we can do nothing to help her. Two miles from here, the Snow Queen's garden begins. You can carry the little girl so far and set her down by the large bush which stands in the snow, covered with red berries. Do not stay gossiping, but come back here as quickly as you can. Then the Finland woman lifted little Gerda upon the reindeer, and he ran away with her as quickly as he could. Oh, I've forgotten my boots and my mittens, cried little Gerda, as soon as she felt the cutting cold. But the reindeer dared not stop. So he ran on till he reached the bush with the red berries. Here he set Gerda down, and he kissed her, and the great bright tears trickled over the animal's cheeks. Then he left her and ran back as fast as he could. There stood poor Gerda, without shoes, without gloves, in the midst of a cold, dreary, ice-bound Finland. She ran forward as quickly as she could, when a whole regiment of snowflakes came round her. They did not, however, fall from the sky, which was quite clear and glittered with the northern lights. The snowflakes ran along the ground, and the nearer they came to her, the larger they appeared. Gerda remembered how large and beautiful they looked through the burning glass. But these really were larger and much more terrible, for they were alive and were the guards of the Snow Queen, and they had the strangest shapes. Some were like great porcupines, others like twisted serpents with their heads stretching out, 
and some few were like fat bears with their hair bristled, but all were dazzlingly white, and all were living snowflakes. Little Gerda repeated the Lord's Prayer, and the cold was so great that she could see her own breath come out of her mouth like steam as she uttered the words. The steam appeared to increase as she continued her prayer, till it took the shape of little angels who grew larger the moment they touched the earth. They all wore helmets on their heads and carried spears and shields. Their number continued to increase more and more, and by the time Gerda had finished her prayers, a whole legion stood round her. They thrust their spears into the terrible snowflakes so that they shivered into a hundred pieces, and little Gerda could go forward with courage and safety. The angels stroked her hands and feet so that she felt the cold less as she hastened into the Snow Queen's castle. But now we must see what Kay is doing. In truth, he thought not of little Gerda, and least of all that she could be standing at the front of the palace. The seventh story of the palace of the Snow Queen and what happened there at last. The walls of the palace were formed of drifted snow, and the windows and doors of cutting winds. There were more than a hundred rooms in it, all as if they had been formed of snow blown together. The largest of them extended for several miles. They were all lighted up by the vivid light of the aurora, and were so large and empty, so icy cold and glittering. There were no amusements here, not even a little bear's ball, when the storm might have been the music and the bears could have danced on their hind legs and shown their good manners. There were no pleasant games of snapdragon or touch, nor even a gossip over the tea table for the young lady foxes. Empty, vast and cold were the halls of the Snow Queen. The flickering flames of the northern lights could plainly be seen, whether they rose high or low in the heavens, from every part of the castle. In the midst of this empty, endless hall of snow was a frozen lake, broken on its surface into a thousand forms. Each piece resembled another, for each was in itself perfect as a work of art. And in the centre of this lake sat the Snow Queen when she was at home. She called this lake the Mirror of Reason, and said that it was the best, and indeed the only one in the world. Little Kay was blue with cold, indeed almost black, but he did not feel it, for the Snow Queen had kissed away the icy shiverings, and his heart was already a lump of ice. He dragged some sharp, flat pieces of ice to and fro, and placed them together in all kinds of positions, as if he wished to make something out of them. Just as we try to form various figures with little tablets of wood, Kay's figures were very artistic. It was the icy game of reason at which he played, and in his eyes the figures were very remarkable and of the highest importance. This opinion was owing to the splinter of glass still sticking in his eye. He composed many complete figures forming different words, but there was one word he never could manage to form, though he wished it very much. It was the word eternity. The Snow Queen had said to him, When you can find out this, you shall be your own master, and I will give you the whole world and a new pair of skates. But he could not accomplish it. 
Now I must hasten away to warmer countries, said the Snow Queen. I will go and look into the black craters of the tops of the burning mountains Etna and Vesuvius, as they are called. I shall make them look white, which will be good for them and for the lemons and the grapes. And away she flew, leaving little Kay quite alone in the great hall, which was so many miles in length. He sat and looked at his pieces of ice and was thinking so deeply and sat so still that anyone might have supposed he was frozen. At this moment it happened that little Gerda came through the great door of the castle. Cutting winds were raging around her, but she offered up a prayer, and the winds sank down as if they were going to sleep. On she went till she came to the large, empty hall and caught sight of Kay. She drew him directly. She flew to him at last and threw her arms around his neck and held him fast, while she exclaimed, Kay! Dear Kay, I found you at last. But he sat quite still, stiff and cold. Then little Gerda wept hot tears which fell on his breast and penetrated into his heart. This thawed the lump of ice and washed away the little piece of glass which had stuck there. And then he looked at her and she sang. The rose in the valley is blooming so sweet and angels descend there, the children to greet. Then Kay burst into tears. He wept so that the splinter of glass swam out of his eye. Then he recognised Gerda and said joyfully, Gerda, dear Gerda, where have you been all this time? And where have I been? And he looked all around him and said, How cold it is here, and how large and empty it all looks. And he clung to Gerda, and she laughed and wept for joy. It was so pleasing to see them that even the pieces of ice danced, and when they were tired and went to lie down, they formed themselves into the letters of the word which the Snow Queen had said he must find out before he could be his own master and have the whole world and a pair of new skates. Gerda kissed his cheeks, and they became blooming, and he kissed his eyes till they shone like her own, she kissed his hands and feet, and he became quite healthy and cheerful. The Snow Queen might come home now when she pleased, for there stood his certainty of freedom, in the words she wanted, written in shining letters of ice. Then they took each other by the hand and went forth from the great palace of ice. They spoke of the grandmother and of the roses on the roof, and as they went on the winds were at rest and the sun burst forth. When they arrived at the bush with red berries, there stood the reindeer waiting for them, and he had brought another young reindeer with him, whose udders were full, and the children drank her warm milk and kissed her. They carried Kay and Gerda first to the Finland woman, where they warmed themselves thoroughly in the hot room, and had directions about their journey home. Next they went to the Lapland woman, who had made some new clothes for them and put their sleighs in order. Both the reindeer ran by their side and followed them as far as the boundaries of the country, where the first green leaves were budding. And here they took leave of the two reindeer and the Lapland woman, and all said farewell. Then birds began to twitter, and the forest too was full of green young leaves, and out of it came a beautiful horse which Gerda remembered, for it was the one which had drawn the golden coach. A young girl was riding upon it, 
with a shining red cap on her head and pistols in her belt. It was the little robber maiden who had got tired of staying at home. She was going first to the north, and if that did not suit her, she meant to try some other part of the world. She knew Gerda directly, and Gerda remembered her. It was a joyful meeting. You're a fine fellow to go gadding about in this way, she said to little Kay. I should like to know whether you deserve that anyone should go to the end of the world to find you. But Gerda patted her cheeks and asked after the prince and princess. They are gone to foreign countries. And now tell me how you managed to get him back. And Gerda and Kay told her all about it. Wow, it's all right at last, said the little robber girl. She took both their hands and promised that if she ever should pass through the town, she would call and pay them a visit. And then she rode away into the wide world. But Gerda and Kay went hand in hand toward home. And as they advanced, spring appeared more lovely with its green verdure and beautiful flowers. Very soon they recognised the large town where they lived and the tall steeples of the churches in which the sweet bells were ringing a merry peal. As they entered it, and found their way back to their grandmother's door. They went upstairs into the little room where all looked just as it used to. The old clock was going tick, tick, and the hands pointed to the time of day, but as they passed through the door into the room, they perceived they were both grown up and become a man and woman. The roses out on the roof were in full bloom, and peeped in at the window, and there stood the little chairs on which they had sat when they were children. Kay and Gerda seated themselves, each on their own chair, and held each other by the hand, while the cold, empty grandeur of the Snow Queen's palace vanished from their memories like a painful dream. The grandmother sat in the bright sunshine, and she read aloud from her favourite book, Kay and Gerda looked into each other's eyes and sang. The rose in the valley is blooming so sweet, and angels descend there, the children to greet. And they both sat there, grown up, yet children at heart. And it was summer, warm, beautiful summer. The End Good night. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.